Okay. All right. So, um, again, what did you expect based off of Paul Tripp's book? Has anyone read this book? Are you familiar with it? Yeah? Okay. So, uh, uh, Paul and uh, his brother, Ted, um, have been really, really helpful on the topic of um, marriage and family and relationships and Ted Tripp just thinking about counseling. It's been really helpful there, but Paul Tripp in this book, uh, what, what Did You Expect? It's really helpful book as it walks through, and we'll, we'll be watching the videos sort of of the book, but just walks through the different aspects of marriage and maybe things that we've thought about, maybe things that we haven't considered, but just a really helpful resource um, on the topic of, of marriage. Now, I don't, you don't have all of the intro pages to the, um, the uh, study, but again, it's online, so if you want to look at it online and just use the handout for taking notes, that's fine as well, but it's under the Sunday School pla- class page online. Um, so Paul Tripp, just a little short, short bio, um, he's a pastor, author, and international conference speaker. He's a president of Paul Tripp Ministries and works to connect um, the transforming power of Christ to everyday life is sort of his vision, mission statement. Um, this vision has led Paul to write many books on Christian living and travel around the world preaching and teaching. Uh, Paul's driving passion is to help people understand how the gospel of Jesus Christ speaks with practical hope into all the things people face in this broken world. Whenever I see Paul Tripp, I think about Norm. I think it's the mustache. Yeah, but you're cooler than Paul Tripp, so. Um, Table of contents, what you can expect. Uh, So there are, um, there'll there'll be 13 sessions total. If you look at the table of contents, um, you see 10 sessions, but we're gonna break up some of those and then add a couple of things, maybe on communication and other things. But the first session is roots of godly marriage or roots of a good marriage. Second session, the biggest problem. Um, Third, the DNA of sin. And then the next, I need help. And then you see treasure. Um, session five and session six, and then what is love is a topic as well, a better way um, rooted in worship, really, really good topic there, and then the marriage bed. Then he has additional resources as well for you to read through if you would like some of those things. Now, if you, your hand down in front of you, do you see a part that says opening discussion? Yes. Okay. So, those questions are designed for, to sort of stimulate initial thought about this specific class and the material. So these questions are designed, we'll, we'll discuss those before the video and I'll sort of walk through those questions to sort of facilitate a little conversation prior to the video. Um, we'll have an open discussion for maybe five to 10 minutes. And then key ideas, you should see that in your handout as well. Um, those simply, those are like a summarization of the main points that Paul Tripp will be bringing out in the videos. Um, they're included in, in those in your guides there. You can revisit them, um, and it's supposed to sort of build a, a, a theology, a, a thinking about marriage as you sort of work through, work through the study by just being able to pinpoint his key, his key points. There are review questions, which we'll look at after the video and sort of talk through some of those things. So as you're watching the video, feel free to take notes. That's why you have your little note sheet there. Uh, questions come to mind. Uh, things come to mind. What, what do you think you meant by, by this? And where do we see this in scripture? So just trying to work through some of those things. Um, 
Yeah, so those, those are some things just to, to keep in mind. There are some personal reflection questions. That's for your personal uh, devotion and whatnot. And then apply what you learned. Um, so the, the study is really, again, geared uh, towards uh, discussion. It's, it's geared towards us thinking together and sharing together about these things, again, with our, with our Bibles open. Um, okay, so let's... Um, We'll uh, start the video. We'll work through the video, um, and then we'll um, we'll have some discussion after that. So, does anyone have a handout, or are are you able to look at it online? Does everyone have something in your hands to be able to look at it? Okay. All right. So, a couple of questions before we start the video here. Now, we haven't done like a video series like this in a while and never used like a layout like this. So we'll just work through it together and figure it out as we as we go. So a couple of questions before we start the video. Uh, who wants to read that first um, question under opening discussion? Go for it. Okay. What were you expecting? What were your expectations prior to getting married? Anybody care to share? If you're single, um, what are your future expectations for marriage? Yes. Lots of babies. Lots of babies. Okay. <laughs> <It's> fair. <laughs> Never be on time for anything ever again. <laughs> That's fair. I don't know if that was a jab or just a comment, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any other? Maria? I was expecting something different. Okay. Better than what I had at home. Hmm. Okay. Yep. That's good. I appreciate y'all's honesty. Y'all are off to a good start here. Any other thoughts? I thought it would feel very rigid, like hmm. stiff, not very funny. Okay. All right. <laughs> Every time the spouse makes a comment, the other's like. <laughs> what else? Any other thoughts? I felt, I felt like um, couples around me did a good job at sharing that there's highs and lows. Hmm. And like, they're they're not going to Yeah, I think the, the same with me. I thought, um, you know, every day's a, a sleepover. It's a party with your, your best friend. And just it's, you just sort of cruise it out. Um, and, of course, it has challenges. Marriage comes with, with challenges. So I think that was uh, my view was sort of informed um, by, by, by challenges. What else? Yeah. 
Any other thoughts? Oh, go for it. Um, I think with the nature of how we live our life now, it's kind of like you're younger and you're going to school and then you mm. go to school and once you're done, you get married. Ah, uh, yeah. So there's this kind of almost like this precipice of marriage that we put it on. Yeah. That once we get married, well then, you know, we just aren't going to have as many issues. Mm. We don't have to worry about as much. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then you get married and you're like, oh, this is it. Like, yeah. This is something we have to actually put our effort in. Right. Yep. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting place. <clears throat> yeah. In our life. Yep. There's a lot of uh, on-the-job training in marriage. No matter how much advice you get, how much people tell you, you know, you you you, you know it. You think, <laughs> then you have to do it, and it's like, it is not as as easy as, you know, maybe sometimes we we think it will be. Um, all right. What about question number two? Who wants to read that for us? Mm. What's dangerous about unrealistic expectations in general? So marriage, a job, children, church life, in general, what comes to mind? What's, what's dangerous about it specifically? Okay, go Mark and then we'll go to the back. Um, I think sometimes you have unrealistic expectations. I definitely struggle with this. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of fantasize about things that you want certain places. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, that's good. That's good. Savannah. I think like you can live in a state of disappointment or discontent, mm. and also like when something happens the way that I didn't want, like, I can turn very me centered. Mm. Like this isn't what I want. Yeah. And start to think how it didn't meet, meet me. Yeah. Yeah. So having a very idealistic view of things can sometimes keep you discontent. Yeah. What else? Yes. I remember in our marital counseling, we were told um, it's a good idea to have desires, but not like unspoken expectations. Mm, um, that's good. That cause problems with resentment, or even just not praising the little things because then you're like, oh, taking that for granted. Like, that person should be doing that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, unspoken expectations. Yep, that can be a killer. Yep, what else? Anything else come to mind? All right, well, let's um, dig into the video here. So the video will be 25 minutes, so that should give us some discussion time. So like I mentioned before, we'll sort of have to feel this out to determine you know, how much time we have to talk and then the video and then talk after. We'll work it out, but um, about 25 minutes. So let me start the video. If someone can grab the lights, if, if that'll help. You guys can let me know. Can everybody see the screen? Is it, is it glare? Is it on this side? You guys can see it fine? Is that fine? Okay. I guess the question to ask here in 
the beginning is when you got married, what did you expect? What were the expectations that fueled your hopes and your dreams in your marriage? And maybe the more dangerous question is this. How close did you come to realizing your expectations? I just saw a wife do this to her husband. That means not close. I think there are thousands and thousands of couples that get married every year with unrealistic expectations. I've been sitting with a future husband and a future wife, and the future wife would look at her husband with sort of glassy, romantic eyes and say something like this. I don't think I could ever be angry at him. I'm angry just to hear it. Because I know where that's going to go. Maybe it all starts with the weirdness of Western culture dating. Can we talk? I don't know why I'm asking permission. I'm going to. I think Western culture dating is just a step above used car sales. Because when you're dating, the last thing you want is for that person to get to know you. So a man who doesn't like to shop will shop. He'll say, yes, dear, I'd love to go to another 12 stores to look for those shoes that are in your head and probably ever, never, ever been produced. Because, darling, when I'm with you, I'm shopalistic. A woman who doesn't like sports will watch sports. She'll say, yes, dear, I'd love to watch another game. Now, somewhere in the middle of a game, she'll give it away. She'll say something like this. My, aren't their uniforms cute? A man would never say that if a man thought that he'd be terrified. And then six months into marriage, this woman is crying. This is not the man I married. Check this out. This is the man you married. The man you dated was a fake. It took you a while. Maybe the best way to frame what we're going to do together as we look at this significant human relationship in God's plan is to start with a little bit of my own story. I've been married now for 42 years. I know you're looking at me and thinking this man is way too young to be married that long. So if you're trying to calculate my age, I was married at seven. And Lowell and I have struggled, Lowell and I have struggled with this issue throughout our marriage, it's the issue of time. Well, it's really been my struggle. Luella was raised in Cuba, and she has sort of an island and a Latin view of time. She lives on a bit of a vibe. You know, you go to the islands because time slows down. If we agree on a pointed hour for Luella, it's a rough estimate. I was raised by a man who thought that the sole litmus test of the value of a human being was punctuality. You're on time, you can live. Now it's Easter morning in the Tripp family at the point of this story, and if you have multiple children, you know that Sunday morning is not the most relaxed morning of the week. We're stuffing children in vans saying, shut up, we're going to worship. We call that preparing our hearts for worship. 
And our church, for reasons I don't really understand, had decided the best way to celebrate the resurrection was to have a full breakfast before the service on Sunday morning. I don't know what that has to do with the resurrection, but it was a tradition. Well, that meant we had to leave an hour hour and a half early. I woke up with feelings of futility. And about time for us to get ready to, to be ready to leave, I go into the bathroom where Luella is and my then nine-year-old son, and I can tell by the way Luella is dressed that she's not near being ready. And I start saying helpful things to her, <laughs> like informing her it's not an Easter dinner, it's an Easter breakfast. She found that very helpful. That's a lie. Telling her that a couple of our children are already in the car waiting as usual. Reminding her that I'm an elder in the church and my arrival before the ham and eggs is very important to my ministry. I'm cranking up the heat. About then, my nine-year-old son said, Daddy, may I say something? I should have said no. He said, Daddy, do you really think this is a way a Christian man should be talking to his wife? I slapped him. No, no. (laughs) That's a joke for you overly serious people in the room. I said, what do you think, trying to escape the conviction? And he looked at me very sincerely and said, Daddy, it doesn't make any difference what I think. What does God think? I walk out of the bathroom being duly corrected and I hear this little voice behind me as I get to the threshold of the door saying, Daddy, may I say something else? I want to say, no, no, please don't. He said, Daddy, what I mean is, what does the Bible say about it? I went into my bedroom and these two thoughts hit me. First, my pride reared up, I want to be a hero to my son and it was embarrassing that if saw through that moment and felt the tension that Luella felt. But hear what I'm about to say. That didn't last very long. I immediately then thought, how could it possibly be that God would love me this much that he'd give one twit of care about that little minor moment in the trip bathroom? That just wasn't a Paul moment or a Luella moment or a Darnay moment. God was in that moment. Now think about this. This is one moment in one room on one morning in one house on one street in one neighborhood in one city in one state in one nation on one continent in one hemisphere in one globe in the universe and God is in that moment. That is love of such magnificence. I can't wrap my brain around it. Now, why is that important? Oh, here I'm about to say, because you don't live in big moments. Most of us won't be written up in history books. You only make three or four big decisions your entire life. Several decades after we die, the people we leave behind will struggle to remember the details of our lives. If God doesn't rule your mundane. He doesn't rule you because that's where you live. The character of a marriage isn't set in three or four big moments. The character of a marriage is set in 10,000 little moments. I would ask you right now, 
Be honest. What's happening in the little moments of your marriage? What would I see if I watched the video of the last six weeks of the little moments of your marriage? The little moments of your marriage are profoundly important precisely because they are the little moments. Because that happens to be the address where your marriage lives. Now I think that's where we get in trouble. A husband will say something nasty to his wife in a little moment, but he'll walk down the hallway and say, she knows I love her, it was just a little moment. A wife will lash out in bitterness in a little moment that she's carried for a while, but she'll later say to herself, it was just a little moment, he knows I love him. Yes, it is true that those little moments are significant and important because that happens to be the place where your marriage lives. I have little interest in the time that we have together to talk about the big moments of your marriage because that's not where you live. But I have lots of interest in shining the searching light of Scripture on the little moments of your marriage. Now I want to say something before we jump in about the Bible that will be our guide. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but your Bible isn't arranged by topic. That frustrates some of you. You wish it was arranged by topic with little tabs at the end of the page, you can go to your topic of interest. The Bible isn't arranged by to topic because of divine editorial error. The Bible is arranged the way it is because of divine intention. The Bible is essentially a grand redemptive story. Maybe the best way to say it is that the Bible is a theologically annotated story. It's a story with God's essential notes. Now here's what this means. If all you do is go to the marriage passages to learn about marriage, you will miss the vast majority of the information that the Bible has for you on this profoundly important relationship because that's not the way the Bible's arranged. To the degree that every passage tells me things about God and things about myself and things about life in a fallen world and things about the disaster of sin and things about the operation of grace, to that degree, every passage tells me something about every dimension of my life. That's the way the Bible works. And so I want to take you on a bit of a journey. Through passages I think are so wise and so essential that you I'm persuaded you can't really understand why marriage is a struggle and how marriage difficulty gets solved without these passages. Really only going to examine three things, three very important things, but maybe there are things that you didn't ask yourself and you haven't thought to consider. Here's the first one. A marriage of unity understanding and love is not rooted in romance, but worship. A marriage of unity and understanding and love is not rooted in romance, 
but in worship. Now, if you're a woman in the room and you know who you are, don't think that this is another Christian speaker who's disrespecting romance. I love romance. I'm a very romantic man. In fact, when I was doing my doctoral studies and I was taking those personality tests in areas like romance, I scored way off the male charts onto the female charts. That made me very comfortable. Particularly when my professor thought that was so interesting, he posted my charts for all the class to discuss. But you got to understand this. Romance is never the cause of a good marriage. Romance is the result of a good marriage. Romance is never the cause of a good marriage. Romance is the result of a good marriage. And if you look to romance to form for you a good marriage, you're going to be anxious, discouraged, freaked out, disappointed, and ultimately hopeless. Romance is a result, not a cause. Now, this is one of these passages that you can understand every word in this little passage, this principle, and not understand the principle. And the tricky word in that statement is the word worship. What in the world does it mean to say that a good marriage is rooted in worship? What does that mean? Well, think with me. When you hear the word worship, what do you think about? Most people, when they hear the word worship, they think about a Sunday morning or a Saturday night, if you go to a real cool church, activity. And what you need to understand is very important that worship is first your identity before it's ever your activity. Worship is your identity before it's ever your activity. You are a worshiper. Now that means you don't just worship on Sunday. It means you worship your way through every moment of every day of your life. You could argue that the only thing a human being ever does is worship. Now, what does that mean? It means I'm always attaching my identity. I'm always attaching my meaning and purpose. I'm always attaching my inner sense of well-being to something. I'm always serving something. I'm always in pursuit of something. You say, well, Paul, I, I sort of get that, but I... I don't know how that connects to marriage. Well, here's our first passage. An incredibly helpful passage of scripture. Let me read for you. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Now let me give you the helicopter view of this important passage of scripture. Here it is. Jesus is saying that your words and behavior, wife, and your words and behavior, husband, are more formed, shaped, 
caused, directed by what's inside of you than what's outside of you. Your words and behavior are more caused by what's inside of you than what's outside of you. No, no one believes that. I'm counseling, let's say, a couple that has an angry, tense, conflictual marriage, and I ask the husband, what's wrong with this marriage? Who do you think he's going to talk about? He's not going to talk about himself. He's going to talk about his wife because he's convinced that the thing that the things he's doing are caused by her. And if I ask the wife what's wrong with her marriage, she's not going to talk about herself. She's going to talk about her husband. Now, at that point, as a counselor, I'm out of a job. Do you understand why? Because there are no seekers in the room. The husband's only there to get his wife fixed. The wife is only there to get her husband fixed. No one actually wants my help. How can you have two utterly righteous people and a messed up marriage? What's up with that? Doesn't make any sense. Hear this radical truth. This is the way, there's a place we have to start. Wives, look at me. I mean it. Your husband is never the cause of what you do and say. He may be the occasion, but he's not the cause. Husbands, look at me. Your wife is never the cause of what you do and say. She may be the occasion, but she's not the cause. Enough of the blame game. Enough of keeping lists. Enough of pointing fingers. It does not work. Now to help us understand what he's talking about, Jesus says, don't you understand you live out of the heart. You speak out of the heart. Now, what is he talking about there? What is this thing, the heart, that he's talking about? Well, the Bible essentially divides a human being into two pieces. Your outer man and your inner man. Your outer man is your physical self. It's the house that God has designed for your heart while you're here on earth. Like astronauts have a spacesuit, you could call your body your earth suit. Someday we're going to get a new suit. And some of us are excited about that. I think I heard some amens. <laughs> and then the Bible talks about the inner man. It uses many terms to the inner man. Mind, emotion, spirit, soul, will. And they're all collected by one big basket term, the term heart. That term is used in hundreds and hundreds of passages of scripture. It's one of the most well-developed themes in all the Bible. I am convinced you cannot understand the message of the Bible unless you understand the Bible's theology of the heart. Now, I want to give you a definition. So when you're reading your Bible, you come across the word heart, you will know what the Bible is talking about. Here's a definition. The heart is the causal core of your personhood. Let me say that again. The heart is the causal core of your personhood. One more time. The heart is the causal core of your personhood. The heart is the steering wheel. The heart is the directional system. 
the heart shepherds, guides, shapes, motivates your words and behavior. Now, to help us to understand that principle and its importance, Jesus uses two very helpful illustrations. The first is your talk. Jesus says, it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. Have you ever said to someone, ooh, I didn't mean to say that? What would be more biblical to say is, please forgive me for saying what I meant. You get the point? You see, if it, if it hadn't been in your heart, it wouldn't have come out of your sweet lips. Everything, wives, that comes out of your mouth was there already. Everything, husbands, that comes out of your mouth was there already. My mom was a member of a Depression-era family of ten brothers and sisters. It was what we would now call in our culture a classic dysfunctional family. When these people reached adulthood, they didn't like one another very much. But they were committed to family reunions. You're right, they were creepy gatherings. They would rent a hall and they would sit at separate tables and glare at one another like warring nation states. Wonderful gathering. Like a bad UN or maybe like the real UN. And the centerpiece of the day would be this great buffet table because everybody would bring their best dish. And then at the, the end of the meal, there would be enough alcohol come out to float the United States. And this thing would get crazy. Well, my mom and dad had the habit of uh, going for the meal and they taught us how to uh, work the tables and say hello to our estranged aunts and uncles and cousins. And before this thing got too crazy, we would be at our retreat. One Saturday, my mom got involved with an evangelistic encounter with one of her siblings and didn't realize that another one of her brothers downstairs where my brother Mark and I were, little boys, uh, had gotten very drunk and he was saying sexually perverse things about women in the room. My mom ran downstairs, she grabbed my brother Mark and I and she yanked us to the car. I remember it very well, I don't think our feet touched the steps. And before she drove away, she said to us, I want to say something to you about what just happened, and I don't want you to ever forget it. I obviously never have. She said these eloquent words. Hear this. There's nothing that comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't there in the first place. You see, the alcohol didn't create that sexual perversion. What the alcohol did was loosen the lips. And when the lips got loose, out came the heart. Your husband, in, the, in his bad moments, doesn't cause you to do the nasty things you do in response. That's caused by your heart. Your wife, when she doesn't live up to your expectations, doesn't cause you 
to beat her up with words. That comes out of your heart. That's what Jesus is saying. It's radical and humbling. guys think helpful yes I think so too so a couple of um, points here a couple of points he made and then we'll talk about it a little bit Uh, one thing he said is our lives don't careen from big moment to big moment we live in a thousand little moments these are the moments that shape our lives and our marriages If we neglect the little moments, marriage will suffer. But if we invest in the little moments, marriage will prosper. Really helpful. So one of the questions there, why are the small mundane moments of everyday life so critical to your marriage? What do you think? Norm? appreciated that, that point even. It's, it's a good thought. Anything else in the video that was said that was helpful for you? Well, I was just going to answer your other question. Yeah. I feel like the big moments are like, okay, at your wedding day, you're saying about, like, I will respect you. I mm-hmm. will love you. And then the little moments are, okay, in the day-to-day, am I showing that I respect you with my actions? Am I speaking well of you to others? Mm. Am I Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yep. So that's one thing to to say it, but then trying to live that out. Yeah. What else? Any other thoughts on that, Barani? about y'all I remember very little from my wedding day Um, I remember not getting food (laughs) not okay (laughs) but uh yeah so real life starts sort of after the right ceremony and uh and the honeymoon right yep Mark I like the example he gave of of 
saying something, you know, bad to your wife or the other way around and walking off and then uh, she or he knows, you know, they love me, but that's really just taking for granted that other person. And, hmm. Yeah, that, that hit me. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that was a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Well, let's look at this uh, next question. What does it mean to be a worshiper, and what does worship and marriage look like? What do you think he means by that, Mark? I was just thinking, like, as soon as he said worship, I was thinking, yeah, like, God and Christ, ultimately, like, what we're supposed to be hmm. in, those, in those moments. Especially if we have like a hard time or working through something. Right. It is a, a silent prayer, like okay, how can I be Christ like? How yeah. can I worship? And I'm literally think about it until he said that that is an act of worship. Hmm. We're supposed to be Christ like to each other, but especially as husbands. Right. Um, sacrificial and laying down our lives in those in all those moments. Right. Yeah. yeah. He said we it could be said that we worship our way through life. Yeah. What else? Any other thoughts on that? Thousand, as he would say, a thousand little moments. Yeah. Yep. 
He talks about talked about romance as well. That we can't build a strong marriage on the foundation of romance. He said that romance is powerful and attractive, but it is not a strong enough foundation to build a marriage. Romance is the result of a marriage that is rooted in worship. Romance should be desired, but it is never the cause of a good marriage. So another good point there. So on the um, another discussion point here. Um, what small and mundane moments have had a big impact on your marriage? What small and mundane moments have had a big impact on your marriage? So the study is going from sort of general to more, more specific in your own marriages. Brittany? says that to me sometimes too. Just that, that reminder. Yep. What else? Anything else come to mind? Something that's been uh, some an effort for me is trying to remember or think about is what I'm thinking about Corrine, my wife. Is what I'm thinking about my wife true to her actions towards me? Because it's I can demonize my wife at times, right? So we, we get into something and I say, okay, well she she's my opponent. And I start to build her character, and it's not consistent with her actual character. So that's been something that it's been an effort for me to try and work through and pray. And my wife is helpful to remind me of that as well, because it can be easy to get in my head. And so I have to align the truth with my imagination. I remember, I think it was John MacArthur, he had this category of vain imagination. Um, thinking of things that aren't true of, of your reality. So that's been something that I've had to work through as well. Brett? Uh, we, uh, well, when, when we got married, it, uh, it served to expose a lot of sin. Like, you know, just it was a, it was a mirror for us. Um, maybe more for me, I don't know, for both of us, I guess. 
you can speak. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I think something that was really a big impact is by God's grace, um, he has helped us both be committed to dealing with our sin in the right way, like hmm. acknowledging it and repenting of it. Um, and, uh, and, and that's really been a huge impact. It's just being able to, um, or God giving us like the grace to be able to acknowledge, like be aware of it, that it is sinful, attitudes, words, actions, hmm. um, and then acknowledge it um, and repent of it. And that's, yeah. that's been big. And I, I just was gonna speak to uh, question three. This was something that, um, that really hit us early on, um, almost in our dating years, because um, I was actually pretty deceived about like what a strong marriage was, and I, mm -hmm. I think I was probably programmed by a lot of our, our movies and stuff like that, because I actually broke up with my wife um, because I think I had a misorder of thinking that romance, like emotion, mm -hmm. my emotions were essentially the leading yeah. factor. And so my emotions had like started to become more normalized um, by being around her much. And I thought that was a problem. I thought it was like there was something wrong with our relationship. Mm -hmm. So I broke up with her thinking that I didn't love her or whatever. And, and, um, and I, what I realized is love was a commitment. It wasn't a feeling. The feelings come uh, mm -hmm. later. There. And so why can't you build a strong marriage on the foundation of romance? Because it's, romance is emotions primarily, mm -hmm. you know? And so um, they come as a result. Yeah. The, the commitment of love. Yeah, so that's good. That was something that I had to learn. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Back to question one. Um, the small moments and the choices we make in those small moments carry into the next. So mm. if you choose to be sacrificial or humble in one moment, it could affect their response in the next part of the moment. You know, so mm. making those choices are not just you know a one time. Yeah, and if you and if you don't repent from previous sin, then you're carrying that sin into the next conflict where there's sin and it builds and builds and builds. Mm. Whereas if you've repented and acknowledged, then you're kind of starting, each conflict is starting almost fresh. And there's maybe fresh sin revealed, but there's not this former sin that was never acknowledged. And, you know, you're, you're starting off in that conflict. You're already reconciled. Yeah, you know? yeah. So where, where you have, you've acknowledged it. We haven't swept anything under the rug. You know, we've dealt with all of those root issues. So we're moving forward together, already reconciled. So we're able to address a, a problem of sin um, more on the same team, I think. Yeah, that's good. Yep, that's helpful. All right. Um, we are almost, well, just about out of time. Um, what do you guys think about the um, living out of the heart? Our behavior, our actions, our words all flow out of the heart that... The, no one else or your spouse or any other person is the cause of why you sin. Maybe the occasion, but not the cause. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. I just remember so much when Andrew and I were first married that I would 
given like the silent treatment and I was so justified in my head because I was like, well, he did that. So, like, <laughs> he deserves some silent treatment, like just really justifying it. Yeah. But just coming to the realization that there's nothing that he can do that justifies my response mm. being sinful. Like I am responsible for myself. So no matter what he does, like he's gonna deal with God with that. Yeah. And then I have to deal with God for what I'm doing. So I can respond and it's good and right in a gracious way, even if he's sinning, you know. And then a lot of times that even brings him to repentance because he's like, oh crap, like, mm. <laughs> like yeah, you're responding so well and I'm yeah. So Yeah. I just remember that having to like click in my head. And it wasn't, yeah, I didn't always understand that. Yeah, that's good. Appreciate you sharing. Yeah. All right, well, we'll close out there and pick up next week. Uh, if you don't have the packet, again, it's online for you to print out. Um, we'll maybe provide the printouts for another couple of weeks, but um, it's, this, this will be a bit of, of an investment, so make sure you print that out so that you have it with you as we build on these things, okay? Well, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll pick up next week. Uh, Pastor Kyle will we'll pick up in the next section, all right? Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would um, help us to, to think rightly through marriage, to remember the gospel in marriage, to be um, willing to look at our own hearts, to be willing to um, confess and address sin and find in you the grace and mercy of uh, restoration and reconciliation and peace. And may our hearts and our minds and our marriages be um, led by the Spirit and formed by your word so that in all these things our triune God is, is glorified um, as, as two sinners work it out together. Um, and Lord, we, we give you thanks for these things and um, for those in, uh, in the room who, who aren't, aren't married, as they think through these categories, uh, may you inform them, uh, encourage them. Um, may they start at a maybe better place than uh, maybe we did when we got married, but to be just better informed and uh, to, be, uh, to be led by the Spirit in this as well. Give them spiritual eyes to, to, uh, to see and to understand and to cultivate the right hearts as they do desire, for those who do desire to be married, that you would be pleased in that. Lord, uh, bless us now as we go into the uh, worship room to, to worship together, and may you be pleased to glorify yourself in it. In Christ's name, amen.